This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Robert Plotkin. He is the founder of Technology for Mindfulness. That's a blog as well as a top 40 iTunes podcast on the science and technology of mindfulness. It is a great conversation. To be honest, this crosses over from my love of technology and my love-hate relationship with technology, as well as productivity and my love-hate relationship with productivity. And again, the word mindfulness is then thrown in there because that is the thrust of this conversation. We talk about what mindfulness is, how technology can help us with mindfulness, how technology becomes an obstacle to mindfulness, and how we can approach technology and mindfulness moving forward. Most of us moving forward in our lives don't have a choice to use technology. We kind of have to. So if you're at all interested in technology and the impact of technology on your life, as well as how that intersects with your productivity, this is going to be an enjoyable conversation for you. So I'm going to get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Robert Plotkin. This week, it is my privilege to welcome Robert Plotkin to the show. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So like I said, pre-recording, I'm always excited to have somebody on that is a fellow podcaster because I know that they you know, know the ropes, so to speak, of <laughs> you know, good quality audio. But not only are you a fellow podcaster, you're doing something great over on your show, all about technology and mindfulness. So I guess give your, give your pitch top of the show. I don't normally yeah. do that, but I, you know, I think let's set the stage for our conversation. Absolutely. You know, I have a background in computer science. I studied computer science at MIT. I've been a programmer. I'm also a patent attorney focusing on patent protection for software for 20 years. I've been using computers since I was a little kid back in the in the early 80s. So I, I've loved using computers. I'm a proud geek and, and nerd before geek was even a popular term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, I started Technology for Mindfulness uh, because I'm also a mindfulness practitioner. I've been studying martial arts uh, as a kind of mindfulness practice since I was a kid too. And I gradually found that computers, which when I was younger were devices that I went to to get more focused and productive. I remember sitting and writing at a computer with just a screen and a cursor not connected to the internet, and I could sit and stay focused in, in that zone of flow for hours. 
And, you know, then the Internet comes along, the web, mobile devices, and I started in the 90s finding myself fighting against the constant distractions and stress that came along with it. And that really motivated me to start Technology for Mindfulness uh, to, to work on how can we get the best of both worlds, really? How can we help ourselves get all of the increases in productivity and creativity, a connection between people and fun and excitement that come from using computers without all of the time-sucking <laughs> distraction and stress that comes along with it in the way technology has come to be used today. I love the example you just gave about how computers used to be a place where you would go to it and that you would sit down and do work. And, and even the word for it, there was a word. It was called a workstation. Remember that? <laughs> yes, I and, do. Yeah. And, and it feels like workstation has now been replaced, you know, with, with portability and connectivity. The workstation has now been replaced with a portal. So, Instead of going somewhere to seclude and focus, it's now going somewhere to connect and transport you everywhere else other than where you are. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, this really does connect to mindfulness, which is about being present in the moment where you are. Uh, and, and I remember the way the technology was sold through the 90s and the, and the O's was that getting more and more connected everywhere all the time was only going to be a good thing right. you know and of course there there's really there's some real great benefits to that kind of connectivity we're talking to each other now and you're going to be yes. posting this online you know it's an amazing thing it's amazing to be able to speak to people video conference message in all kinds of ways learn about things we could never learn about before there's all kinds of tools for being creative you know there's a lot of benefits to it. But I, what I think people didn't predict or anticipate was, was the downsides of being out of balance and connected too much all the time when we as humans really need time to be more alone or just focused on one task, maybe with one or a small number of other people. And, you know, that, that's kind of the side effect the negative side effect of the constant connectivity and what what we're working on technology for mindfulness is definitely not trying to get rid of technology throw technology out <laughs> i would say it's to find a balance to find a balance that's right for each individual person or organization and really to be in charge and control of creating that balance for you instead of having that feeling that somehow your smartphone is controlling you and making you do what it wants you to do. And I, I know I often have that feeling. And that, that's one place where actually traditional mindfulness practice can help regain that, that feeling and experience of being grounded and centered and not being pulled along by your circumstances or by something like a technology that's chirping at you and then calling to you all the time. Yeah. So ultimately, we're, we're aiming towards in the practice of using technology for mindfulness, using technology as a beneficial tool instead of a, a detrimental tool. Yeah, that's why I use the term technology for mindfulness. I think technology, and this may sound like it should be completely uncontroversial, but uh, technology should be something that 
acts in the service of us as human beings. Uh, and, you know, what reason I say that should be uncontroversial is that I, I, I often feel, and I know many people feel, that it's, it, it's as if we're under the control of or reacting to the technology. I mean, mm. I often, when my phone rings or I see a notification pop up, have that feeling of, why is this smartphone doing this to me? <laughs> or, you know, after I find I've been sucked down that rabbit hole of watching, you know, 20 YouTube videos when I was only intending to watch one or maybe none, uh, you know, that somehow the technology has taken the lead uh, and pulled me along. Uh, when in the end, of course, the technology, the hardware and the software is definitely designed to maximize its ability to do that. In the end, uh, the, the positive, hopeful note is that your smartphone's not actually holding a gun to your head. It's not physically making you do anything. It is tapping into some really deep-seated uh, psychological and neurological mechanisms that can be very hard to resist. But in the end, we all have the capacity to take back that internal control of what we're going to what we're going to do with technology how we're going to spend our time with it that exists within us and that is a traditional mindfulness principle as well you know we we don't have to go anywhere we don't have to even buy an app you know to counteract the, the harmful effects of technology we can look within ourselves to develop the habits and skills we need to use technology the way that we want to it sounds a lot like you're talking about having a or being reactionary versus having intention for well first having intention and then sticking with that intention and in fact let's let's go there let's actually take a second here and we're talking all about technology for mindfulness let's take a pause and reflect or uh be mindful of the word mindful or mindfulness and really spell that out and what that means and then we'll be able to dig deeper in and into how technology is intertwined uh with that yeah you know i there's a a, a modern definition that's often used uh, i may not get the exact wording down but john cabot zinn who founded the center for mindfulness and is most well known for creating the mindfulness-based stress reduction mbsr program said something like mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment to your present experience intentionally and without judgment uh in a sense, it's a very simple thing. If you were to sit and uh, just pay attention to things like, what thoughts am I having? Uh, what are my bodily sensations? What does uh, my skin feel like? Uh, do I feel uh, heat or pressure? Pay attention. Paying attention to paying attention to feelings, fear, uh, happiness, uh, anxiety, uh, anticipation. All of these are are internal experiences that we can pay attention to uh, in the present moment is important uh, because mindfulness is something where we seek to pay attention to what's happening right now in our bodies and minds and not to the future or the past. And the without judgment, you know, that's a really hard thing. And it's actually what in, in traditional mindfulness practice uh, 
many people I often struggle the most with. And I'll give you, you know, an example of what might happen while meditating, uh, which is I sit down to meditate and I notice that I have a thought. Uh, what? Oh, I've got this work assignment to do later today. And then I think about how I'm never going to get it done. And then I think I didn't plan my time well. And then I, then I notice, oh, I'm having a self-judging thought. Uh, and then I think, well, that's not really good of me. I'm not being a good mindfulness practitioner for judging myself. And now I'm judging myself about judging myself. <laughs> and, you know, this is very common. And that can go on many, many levels deep. And the intention of the practice, okay, now I'm noticing the judging. See if I can pull back, observe that from a bit of a distance, from, from, with some feeling of detachment. Observe the thought. Uh, as if it's something happening without, um, we often call it without self-identifying, without saying, I'm a, I'm a bad judging person. Oh, I just noticed a judging thought appeared in my mind. And, uh, you know, if you want to talk about how we can apply, I'd be glad to give an example of how we can apply this to uh, even something as, as practical as personal productivity. Certainly, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, all of us, these days, I think it's safe to say everybody, uh, particularly in the U.S., you know, it's often said the business of, of America is business. We're very, our, our philosophy is pragmatism. <laughs> That's the <laughs> philosophy of the U.S. We're very pragmatic people. Uh, we're focused on doing things, getting them done, getting them done effectively and efficiently. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's definitely a big part of who I am. Uh, and I'm all about finding out ways to get things done more effectively and efficiently. But I also notice how stressful that can be, how anxiety-producing engaging in the tasks can be. And you know, I'm sure you can relate, even thinking about what's on my to-do list when I'm not engaged in it, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> thinking about what have I left off my to-do list. I get stressed about, I get stressed about, uh, when I go back to my to-do list tomorrow, am I going to find that something's missing from it? And I'm going to hit the end of the day and have gone through my to-do list and, and not, although I did everything on it, I missed something critical because it wasn't on the list. So now there's a meta level of stress about the list itself. So there's, there's a bunch of tips, and we've written blog postings about this on uh, technology for mindfulness. Uh, one, one of them is a very direct application of, of traditional mindfulness practice would be when you're in the course of going through your to-do list, and you can do this at any point in the day when you're trudging through your to-do list. If you're like me, how do you do that? You've got your list, you're racing through it and maybe many other things, and you look at the list and you quickly maybe somewhat automatically pick something from it. <laughs> maybe it's whatever happens to be next. You know, it may be what feels like it's the easiest. It may be what seems like the most fun. Uh, if you're in business, maybe it's what's going to make you the most money. Uh, so I would suggest pausing. It's a good time to pause, right? Automatically picking the next thing, uh, for no particular reason, is a good sign you might be acting mindlessly. So I suggest you pause when you're about to go to that next task, and there's a bunch of things you can do. Uh, one is just breathe, merely to reground yourself and feel 
more grounded and less stressed. Okay, may or may not increase your productivity, uh, but what may help you alleviate that stress from racing from one to the next. But the next thing I do is ask yourself, going you said intention. Yes. What's my intention? What was my intention for the day or the hour or the project I'm working? What was my intention? And then ask, look at your list and ask, oh, was that thing I was just about to do, is that really the most important thing on the list for me to do to advance that intention of mine? And that's a real mindfulness practice. You know, what's, what is important to me now pause, reflect on what your intention was, and then pick something that's in line with the intention. And you know, personal productivity, you know, I think of Stephen Covey, the, the, the distinction between urgent and important. Yes. When we're racing, when we're racing through the list, where all of us are very inclined to pick what seems most urgent. Um, the inbox, your email inbox is a great example. Whatever is at the top, whatever has an urgent flag and is in red, jumps out at you, may, may lead you to pick that because it appears to be urgent, but it may not be the thing that will inv- advance your intention or is actually most important to do. So pausing to ask yourself what your intention is and what task is the one that will most advance your intention is a way of you know, being in line with what I think most personal productivity experts suggest. And it's a way of using mindfulness to do that. See, and none of this necessarily has to be connected with technology of all that you just said, but it can be. It can be something that it's, you know, synced to your phone and you, you know, can open it up and sit and look at things out and about uh, in a coffee shop, maybe. Or if that, again, if that's the kind of environment that will cause you to stop and pause and reflect, and it is a different uh, environment from, say, your office or home office or something like that, right? Yeah, there's so there are many ways to use technology. Uh, again, we've written about lots of apps and other tools out there that are that remind you to return your attention to the present moment in various ways. And they can be as simple as a bell going off every 15 minutes or every hour or at the end of an appointment. Uh, Technology can be really good at just reminding, oh, well, you hear that bell and you remember, okay, my mind was racing. I was in autopilot. Uh, That bell reminded me to return to the present and remember what my intention was. And there's obviously lots of great task management tools out there, technological tools. I mean, I am a big fan of and proponent of, and I'm not the the first one to say this at all, of putting to-dos on a calendar uh, or scheduling them. With us uh, at a certain time in some way, uh, for many reasons, and uh, obviously technology can be a big help at at putting tasks on the calendar, rearranging them, uh, revisiting them, and of course we all have to strike our own balance in terms of planning, organizing our tasks on the one hand, and being flexible and responsive and adaptive to our day, moment to moment, hour to hour, days, you know, as things come up and change, responding and reorganizing. And I think I find technology really super helpful at reorganizing, reprioritizing tasks and appointments in a way that would be a real pain, you know, on paper. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, based on the example that you had given about pausing and looking and really, you know, th- taking the breath and re-gauging, okay, what was my intention? And then looking at the things that have to be done now or soon, regardless of how urgent they are. And then again, with the calendar, grabbing something from that, that aligns with that intention. And in a sense, driving a stake in the ground on the calendar, you know, metaphorically and saying, mm-hmm. okay, it's that important that I follow through with that intention that I'm going to mark a, a, a location potentially in, in the metadata of the calendar, mm-hmm. but specifically a time that I'm going to work on that. And the time, you know, the time is really important. And you know, what you mentioned about take, taking the time to put the stake in the ground. One thing I experience, you know, many people experience is we set these intentions. Maybe it's at the beginning of the day, maybe it's a day before. And then how often do you find you go through the whole day? And then at the end of the day, you say, Oh, now I remember what my intention was. <laughs> you know, somehow I went through the whole day and didn't, didn't return to it. So if you one one benefit of, of many of many for calendaring is if you can pick a time now this is going to vary from person to person but pick a time in the day when you are grounded mm. you know when the day's not gotten ahead of you for me i i actually like doing it at the end of the previous work day that may not work for everybody some people might do it at the be- beginning of the day the point is it's a time you set aside when you can be grounded focused, not rushing through a million other things, you can give that kind of concerted, uh, intentional thought to when it will make sense to do something. It's like you're, you're anticipating that your future self, you know, for the next day or later that day, you understand, may not be focused enough to make the best, most mindful, productive decision in the moment. So you're helping yourself out by putting that task on the calendar in a moment when you can do so in a more reflective, uh, more reflective and less reflexive way. Yes. I, I love calling this uh, and and all that's involved with this, the passing the baton to my future self. Because if you know anything about relays, it's not just about the receiving of the baton. It's also the passing properly of the baton so that the speed of and you, and, you know, again, I'm going with like, it's a competition, but Again, why not? Why not think of it that way and just say, look, I want to be a good handoff person to me tomorrow. And tomorrow, I hope that me tomorrow is a good receiving person. But, you know, I can't help that person. I can just be the best handoff person right now. Yes, that's right. You know, you're you're being, and I think in mindfulness terms, we're saying you're being compassionate towards your future self. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I like I, one one reason I personally have settled to the extent possible doing it the day before. You know, there's a side benefit uh, that that I didn't really anticipate, but it's that when I lay things out the day before. It has a benefit for me the whole rest of the evening through my sleep <laughs> and when I wake up the next day. Just that no- knowledge or feeling of comfort that I'm going to start the next day off as quickly as it might go off the rails. <laughs> I'm going to sure. at least start the day off having put things into place that are going to you know, be the way I 
will find them most helpful to be. And it really helped. This is what I said in the beginning. You know, of course, organizing your to-do list can help you be more efficient. But the other side to it where mindfulness can apply is helping improve how we feel uh, either while engaging in tasks or even while not. And for me, doing it the day before uh, is really helpful for me being able to let go, you know, and not spend the evening uh, return having my thoughts return to what might be on my plate for the next day or not or when it's going to happen really helps put me at ease uh, in in that way. And again, this is going to be personal for everyone, including then how you revisit and adapt things uh, when you know that the best laid plans of mice and men you know go go off and go awry, and then you can apply mindfulness to you know be compassionate to yourself and and uh, 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 understanding wh- while that will inevitably happen you know uh, that that not everything will go according to plan, and that is where I think technology is really helpful. I love just the ability to drag and move things around uh, easily as as need be. And to see that visually, you know, that's a thing that we couldn't do in the old days in a paper planner. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we're talking at a very almost somewhat macro level. Let's drill down a little deeper and talk specifically about those best laid plans. Once we've We've set ourselves up. We've, uh, we're on the receiving end. We're now in the day that we've already set up at the end of the previous day. And now technology, for better or for worse, is helping us and distracting us. How do mm-hmm. we start to navigate? What are some of the best practices here? Yeah. So again, you know, uh, mindfulness practice, in a sense, people say it's, it's very simple. It's hard to do, but it's simple. You know, so I'm going to be repeating myself and say, you start the day off and let's imagine the worst happens, which is the very minute your day starts, something unexpected happens and throws off your plan. Uh, if you can remain mindful when that happens, you get an unexpected call. Uh, let's just say with work, you know, a client or a customer or a boss or a colleague, you know, does something that you need to attend to. Uh, One is you switch your attention to that thing and stay focused and present fully with it while it's happening. Uh, I know I can have a tendency to still be fixed on the thing I had been planning to do. 
you know, that would uh, not be as mindful. Now, my, my attention is not on what I'm actually doing. Now, the new emergency that's come up, it's focused on what I had planned to do. But that thing is no longer in the present now. Okay. I may not like it. It may, I maybe I get angry you know, that my plan has been thrown into the trash, but there's actually some mindfulness to be practiced in now shifting your attention to the, the new task where it is uh, without judgment and be fully in it. It'll actually help you to do that emergency task better and more efficiently and in a, in a, in a way be thrown off less than you need to be by the, by the fact that you you were thrown off but you'll only be thrown off as much as you need to be you won't be thrown off more by your fixation on what you're not going to what you're not getting done now or by your annoyance at the fact that you were thrown <laughs> off you know we call that we call that the second arrow in mindfulness practice the first arrow is your your boss threw you know took you off task to something else that's just a fact. The second arrow is your annoyance about it and your story you start telling yourself about it and how you start feeling hopeless that you're never going to get any. Those are second, third, fourth arrows that your mind is creating uh, that you can pay attention to, notice, and work on letting go of through mindfulness practice and thereby actually be less impacted by the emergency. Then I would say the next thing is to be able to be flexible. You may need to then, once the emergency's done, return to this great <laughs> laid out to-do list and recognize, okay, I'm in a different reality now. I need to reorganize it, you know, and apply the same skill you did uh, the night before uh, to the new present moment. Yeah, that makes sense. To be able to come back and, uh, again, that that flexibility, that knowing that, okay, now that I'm on the other side of whatever it was that n was a necessity distraction from what I had originally intended to do, now how can I return back to my true intention of what this day and this time was set aside for? Right? Yeah. And you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate I'm, for people who might be saying, why on earth would I ever be laying out these plans and spending the time to plot out my tasks when I know they're all going to be irrelevant, you know, as soon as my day starts? Uh, the engineer in me says, you know what? What if your plan only improves your efficiency by a few percent, 5%, 10%? You were hoping, you know, or you're only able to get done. Uh, a, a small percentage of what, what you are planning to do. If there's any improvement, though, uh, that's, you know, if we want to measure it, more of an improvement than the time and energy you put into putting the list together, why not? Uh, and in particular, as you said, if in putting the list together, you do things like in put in the list, not just the tasks, but maybe what your goals are for them. Put in some higher level information about what your intention is for certain parts of the day or certain projects or certain tasks. Looking back at the list, even when you can't, you have to rearrange it, will help remind you of what your intention was. And that will help you reorganize things to be more in line with your intention than if you just had a, 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 a random list put together without your intention reflected in it. Well, and even in maybe a specific task or, you know, I mean, I would guess I would say if there's a specific task that has multiple tasks inside it, it's almost a project or a mini project by listing those off in the order that they are 
uh, needed to be ticked off in, then, you know, say a distraction does come up, you come back to it, you've already done the work of being able to help yourself know where it was you left off and regain that momentum and step right back in where you left off. Because half the time, that's one of the other problems, especially with technology is, you know, the idea of, okay, I picked up my phone because I had a notification, although I'm a person who has almost no notifications on my phone. <laughs> and we can get to that. But uh, say I do pick up my phone for a an intentional notification, one that I've specifically chosen to receive notifications on, and then I take care of that thing. But then due to the nature of the technology, get sucked into every other app on my phone. Well, once I finally realize when, as I'm scrolling Facebook, oh, wait, no, what did I pick my phone up for again? <laughs> and put it back down and turn it off and return to my task list, I can go right back to where I was. Yeah, you know, it, going back to my computer science background, we call that uh, in programming, context switching. You know, and uh, when you switch from one task to another... It can be hard to remember what you're what you were doing previously, and you're absolutely right. If you have written that down and you're keeping track of it, you're you're actually imp you're going to return to that previous task more quickly. It's going to be less stressful, and you're going to use less precious mental energy trying to just remember what you were doing. And I know there's all you know a big cause of procrastination uh, is is that difficulty and pain, really, of trying to make a decision about what to do, not just actually doing the thing. I, I often, you know, I'll, I'll make a, an embarrassing admission. When I get interrupted in that way, let's say it's by a phone call, I often put the phone down and then say out loud to myself, what was I doing? <laughs> what was I doing before? <laughs> and I pause and I try, to, I actually you know, try to use some mindfulness. Pause. So one benefit to pausing and just whether you say it out loud or not, you know, maybe you've got colleagues around who think you're crazy. Uh, one, there's a real benefit to pausing and asking yourself what you were doing. Why? I know if I don't stop and ask myself that after the phone call or other interruption, there's a good chance I will reflexively or automatically pick up whatever seems most urgent at that moment which may not be what I was doing before I got interrupted. And then I'm down the rabbit hole. And then the rest <laughs> of the day is just chasing rabbits. Urgent then it's chasing to urgent to urgent. Right. And we know that, you know, that's the last thing we want to do. And that's a recipe for never getting the important done. So, you know, pause and say, what was I doing just increases the likelihood I'll actually return to what I was doing. And what I was doing was the thing I decided intentionally was the most important thing for me to do. So, you know, it's a good way to help stop, yeah, uh, getting, lead, having one distraction lead to another in a cycle that can then take a while to recover from. Now, obviously, the smartphone is not the only distraction you know, des desktops and untamed notifications all throughout that many open, you know, tabs, windows, all of that. They're, they are all components of this factors in this possible distraction. And, you know, the switching of, like we said at the very beginning, uh, from a workstation to a portal of distraction to go anywhere and everywhere. Uh, but let's dial in on the smartphone because I think that's really the one that, you know, because we kind of have it with us all the time. How can we practice mindfulness specifically with this specific tool? 
Yeah, well, you mentioned one thing which I'm a big fan of, which is really reining in and exercising tight control over notifications. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure you've you've talked a lot about this uh, already uh, to your listeners. It's really critical. Uh, you know, I, I never say that technology companies are evil because I don't think they are, but their incentives because of most of them, because of the, the dominant business models are to design the hardware and the software to do everything it can to grab your attention. You know, what's sometimes called mind share. Uh, so out of the box, your operating system, your iOS on the iPhone or Android, the apps are generally set by default, you know, to notify you about all kinds of things that the vendors want to notify you about to grab your attention, to buy an, an add-on feature, to go read some content which is going to have an ad or something. Those are not what's in line with your intention necessarily. <laughs> so we ha in this age, we have to exercise some proactive intentional control over notifications. The good news is that, you know, in the early days of the smartphone, there, there was very little you could do to exercise control. All of the uh, Apple, Microsoft, Google, they've all built in pretty extensive ways in which you as a user can configure the notifications that you get. And for our purposes, I would say by default, turn them off unless you intentionally decide there's some notification you really need. But what it means is we have to be proactive, take the time to pause, you know, separately. I don't suggest you do it in the middle of the day when you're doing other things. Uh, you know, when you get a new phone, take the time to go through an Apple, it's do not disturb, you know, uh, go through all the settings. They are not always the easiest settings to find. I just got, <laughs> I use the Weather Channel app. And, you know, I had a typical frustrating experience. It's notifying me the other day with a really annoying sound about some storm coming in. I went into iOS. I turned off notifications for the Weather Channel. Five minutes later, I get the same notification. Why? There was a separate setting in the Weather Channel app as oh. well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, Weather Channel. I'm calling you out for bad practices. <laughs> but, See, you know. well, and, and every time an app, I mean, my default is every time I install a new app and I open it for the first time and that, you know, that pop up says such and such app would like to send you notifications. My default is no. Right. Right. And here's here's an aspect of mindfulness. There's two aspects here. One is you pause, right? You you've trained yourself to have that habit when you see the window pop up to actually pause. Why? If you don't pause, I don't know, maybe for you it would still be to automatically hit no, but for many of us the reflexive automatic mindless reaction would be to tap yes. Part of that, I think, is, you know, why we call it fear of missing out. Uh, we, there might be, if we're not pausing and paying attention, some unrecognized fear. Oh, what? Maybe that notification will have something I want to see, you know? Uh, so if we let our, our instinct or reflex to, to see a notification uh, direct our action to hit yes, we we most we are much more likely 
to, to, to leave on notifications that if we were to pause, we'd, we'd consciously and, and rationally decide we really don't need. And what I'd suggest to people is, you know, uh, actually as an experiment, try turning off all notifications, you know, and just even for a day or an hour, if you have a fear that the earth will come crashing down, <laughs> just try it and see how far off that feeling is. People will reach you in another way if they need to. That app probably, if you were to go in and use it, you'll then get the information in it that you would have otherwise gotten through a, a notification. Your, your, your instinct about what notifications you need may very well be wrong. So, you know, try it out, see how, and then see how much less stressed out you feel uh, as well, not getting all of those notifications. Yeah, because the the awareness of a notification is one thing, but the, so by eliminating, in a sense, the temptation for our attention to be sent elsewhere is what we're talking about here, right? That's right. You know, and I've seen various statistics uh, about just how long it's, if you were engaged in a really focused task, you know, whether you're a programmer or a writer or whether you're at home, you know, you're cooking a meal and you're really focused on it, whatever it might happen to be. Uh, I've heard that it can take anywhere between three and 15 minutes, believe it or not, after getting a notification, even if all you do is look at it and not dive into it, you know, by launching the app. Just that distraction can take a while, you know, that long to recover from. And people aren't, when people are asked, they think they recover as soon as they turn their eyes away from the notification. Yeah, you're not looking at it anymore, but you're not going to be regain that focus that you had before the notification uh, for a while, even if you resist it, so to speak. And there's a lot of research, you know, on just the mental drain it takes. Let's say you're happy at the end of the day. Every time your phone beeped or notified you about something, you heard the beep, you didn't look at the phone, or you see the pop-up and you look at it and you don't swipe on it to open it. And you say, I resisted all of these notifications. You know, how much mental energy, though, does it take to use that willpower <laughs> to resist all? And do you want your precious mind to be putting so much energy into just resisting responding to notifications. You know, we only have one life. <laughs> Not spending the time having to undo or resist means that you freed up all that extra mental bandwidth, you know, and, and, and again, seeing the notification. And even if you know it's not something you need to do something about, there's still a bit of, uh, you know, mental ram that is still processing that or stuck on it. And there's a residual attention to it. There's a residual attention to it. You know, I, I had interviewed on the, uh, you know, we have a podcast on technology for mindfulness. I interviewed Nicholas Carr. First of all, his book from 2009, The Shallows, I would say is still as relevant as oh, ever. Yeah. I'd recommend any, anyone mm -hmm. uh, to read that. Uh, it's a real eye-opener for me. But, you know, he had reported, I got a lot of attention I th sometime last year, uh, a, a academic study uh, saying that it's really surprising that even if your phone is near you and not on or not generating any notifications, 
it still takes up some of your mental energy because there's a part of your mind that's thinking about, should I go to my phone? Is there something waiting there for me? This is particularly for people, I'm guessing both of us are in this category, people who are heavy technology users. We've basically become trained or acclimated uh, to being drawn to the phone. So, you know, it was previously thought, well, the only thing that takes up your attention is when the phone does something like beeps to draw your attention to it. Now we've learned our minds are drawing our <laughs> are drawing ourselves to the phone because of our habitual interactions with it just because it's nearby and we know it's there. And so the recommendation that's the main recommendations come out of this is, you know, if you really want to try to distance your mind from the phone, put it somewhere else so that you know it's somewhere else and it's not nearby, uh, particularly at night, you know, particularly getting ready for bed, sleeping, uh, or waking up in the morning, or just if you want to engage in a really focused task that doesn't require your phone, put it away, lock it in a safe in another room. Your, your, your subconscious mind will be less likely to be drawn to it. Yes, exactly. Well, we even have a charging station here at my house. Although when we moved into this new house, uh, that kind of got put somewhere and I don't know where it got put, but there was a point in time where we had a charging station and that's where it would, uh, you know, my phone, my wife's phone, uh, even my daughter who doesn't have a full blown phone, but it has, you know, has one that works with Wi-Fi. Uh, it's kind of, that's the place where it's like, that's the hub and that's where they stay when you're home so that you're not tethered at all moments. And I would say, you know, this is an example of you exercising a conscious, deliberate, uh, mindful thought about how and where and when you're going to use the technology. Uh, the, you know, I think one thing it's very useful to, to keep in mind uh, is that the fact that the smartphone can be used anywhere or can be carried with us on our body at any time doesn't mean we have to use it that way. <laughs> it's capable of being at our hip, but it's up to us to decide whether to keep it on our hip. We can make it, as in your, what you've done in your house, you can make your, quote, mobile device into a stationary fixed location device for part of the time if that's what you want to do and that's what's best for you. Uh, and again, if we if we don't stop and pause and examine uh, our own intentions, what, how we want to make use of the smartphone, the path of least resistance, so to speak, is just to use it all the time in the way it's marketed, uh, which in the case of smartphone would be to carry it with you because it's a, it's a mobile device. But uh, it, we can always choose to use it in any way we want. I'll give another example, which is, What's so one one thing that's great about a smartphone is you can run so many different apps on it, right? You can switch back and forth between them easily, but you can still use a smartphone as a single purpose device at any particular time. Uh, if you want to be more focused, you can quit out of all your other apps. I think this is this is something that's even more powerful for me on a desktop computer. You know, close all windows, quit out of all your other apps, put whatever you're working on into full screen mode. 
the computer has the ability to multitask, to have 50 windows open. That doesn't mean that you have to use it that way all the time. You can use it as a single purpose device. And then also recognize your own limitations. You know, sometimes when I, I'm on the phone, I re, I'm reading an, an ebook, I find my mind being drawn to, hey, what's on my email? Uh, so I recognize, all right, right now, you know, <laughs> I'm not doing a good job at single tasking on this. I have a black and white Kindle. You know, sometimes I choose to put the phone away in another room. And if I really want to focus, uh, I take the Kindle out, which doesn't give me the even the option or the temptation to switch to something else. And if I have some self-judgment popping up, you know, Robert, why are you so weak <laughs> that you couldn't resist that on your phone? I try to exercise some self-compassion and non-judgment <laughs> towards myself to say, you know, this is what I needed right now to just use a device that can only do one thing. It's helping it make it easier for me to just do that one thing now, be more relaxed and focused and, and happy with use of the technology. So, you know, it's another example of being flexible and also kind of easy on yourself and aware, you know, aware of what your options are and that we always have choices. You know, I think this is another thing that can, we can have the feeling of being trapped or quote, under control of the smartphone as if it's quote, making us do things. Uh, that's a very powerful feeling. You know, one thing we learn in mindfulness practice is sometimes what our feelings tell us isn't true. <laughs> the The feeling is real. The feeling of oh, the phone is pulling me. I have that feeling. Uh, the feeling is real. You know, we don't want to deny the reality of that feeling, but instead dive into it, examine it. And sometimes we realize it, the feeling tells me the phone's pulling me. But, it, but if I examine it, what I find is I, there's something in my mind pulling me towards the phone. And that's an empowering thought also, because it helps me realize if the, what's pulling me to the phone is in me, mm. now I have the ability to, to change that. I'm the you magnet, know, I, not the phone. I, right. I'm, I'm the magnet. Uh, and I, I can exercise control. Uh, it takes a lot of work, you know, but I have the capacity to make decisions about what, uh, how I use my own mind and body at any particular time. And um, the phone can't really make me do anything. You know, one exercise, and, and I've got a, a course, we'll be rolling it out soon. We've done it, uh, we've, we've tested it out called Tap Into Mindfulness. It's a series of mindfulness exercises. I actually was motivated by a combination of my, my mindfulness meditation experience and martial arts experience. They're exercises you do with your smartphone in hand to help develop this kind of skill to pause. And one, one of them, uh, in a sense, the simplest, but also people tell me uh, when I've taught it to them, the most challenging <laughs> is just to have your phone asleep in your hand and look at it without waking it up or interacting with it in any way uh, can be very challenging. You know, I often feel when I do this and people tell me they feel that pull, the pull of the phone with the screen black, not doing anything. But what one reason it's helpful to do this exercise with the screen off while you're not interacting is can help you to see when you pause and really reflect 
that the phone isn't doing anything. It's just there, right? It's there. That's the present moment reality. It's sitting there. If I feel a pull, clearly I can see while paused and not racing through, running through apps on the phone, I can see it's not doing anything. It's just a block of <laughs> silicon, and, <laughs> you know, and, and plastic. The pull is coming from, and I can take as much time as I want to really dive into that feeling and, and come to grips with it and recognize the reality of it and see that the phone can't make me do anything, really. And so by practicing that with the phone off, you know, the, the, the goal and intention is to help develop the capacity to have that same feeling of power even when the phone's doing a lot of things to you and you're in the middle of your hectic day and you're running around and you're not in an otherwise grounded or mindful place. Building up that, that mental mindfulness muscle. Yes, that's really what it is. You know, it's often called men mental training. Yes. Uh, you know, when I said it comes in part from martial arts, you know, this, this, the tap into mindfulness exercises are different from most traditional mindfulness meditation in the, in the sense that you're, you're doing this with something in your hand. The analogy is, you know, Martial arts, you have a training partner uh, who you're, you're working with, you might say against, uh, but you know you face off against someone and there, there's some training where you're merely facing off and feeling the fear or anticipation or tension of that and being grounded while, while that's happening. Uh, and a lot of the other exercises in tap into mindfulness are uh, involve having the phone do things, you know, uh, pop up a notification, which martial arts analogy would be someone's throwing a punch at you, <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, and, and training both how to physically respond to that maybe by blocking, but there's a, a significant aspect in martial arts training of the internal training that you do being able to see the punch without turning away physically or mentally and actually dive, uh, draw your attention into it, really see it, focus on it while being grounded um, and so that interaction between you and your training partner is much like the interaction between you and the phone in, in the tap into mindfulness exercise. I uh, practice these myself and have been teaching them and we will be launching uh, an online course, uh, to teach these to people. Uh, you know, the, the idea being that if you engage in these exercises with your phone in ways that simulate how you actually use the phone in dur during your day, uh, they'll be more likely to develop that skill more effectively and efficiently than just by sitting meditation alone. Wow. I, I find this personally fascinating. I know that you've got on your site and in your podcast, you've got so much more to dig deeper and into all the other different aspects of this. This is kind of just scratching the surface, really. Um, Robert, I'd love for you to direct people to where they can find the show, where they can find yeah. your blog and all and, and the course as well. Yeah. I mean, the hub for everything is at technologyformindfulness.com. So that's the easiest place to tell uh, people to go. Uh, you'll find the podcast there uh, where we interview a lot of scientists, neuroscientists, other people who are exploring the science of mindfulness, particularly as it relates to our use of technology, uh, but lots of other people, mindfulness teachers and practitioners, technology developers, uh, people who develop uh, mindfulness apps. Uh, 
so we got the podcast, we have the blog, very practical, focused on some of the kinds of tips I've talked about for being more mindful. And another focus of ours is on uh, promoting the development of technology in ways that promote mindfulness, you know, apps that don't nag you all the time, promote the development of technology that gives users the ability to configure notifications, or that's not overly distracting to people. Uh, and the, the, uh, if you want to find out about Tap Into Mindfulness, I'd say uh, sign up on our email list, which you can do on the site, and stay tuned uh, on technologyformindfulness.com for more information about that. We'll be launching soon. Very cool. Um, it, we could keep geeking out about this. I, I'm definitely <laughs> going to have to have you come back at some point, and we'll, we'll dive deeper into some specifics uh, in a couple of different areas for sure. But Robert, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think we can we can do a lot more. I think there's not many people out there. I'm not sure if anyone, you know, if I found who's interested like you are in the 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 intersection between to dos, task management, productivity, technology, and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really appreciate uh, you having me on here, so we could really explore that in depth. Awesome, great, great having you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Eric. There is so much more than just what we talked about in this episode when it comes to technology and mindfulness and productivity. In fact, that's why, again, I highly suggest you check out Technology for Mindfulness, Robert's site and podcast. This is one of those topics that I could talk about endlessly. And in fact, I will. And, and you know, I, I thoroughly believe Robert will be back on the show at some point in the near future, maybe by the end of the year to have another follow up episode where we dig deeper. And in fact, I welcome your questions to set that conversation up. How can we dig deeper into this conversation, into this topic? Where are your issues with technology and mindfulness and productivity? And with that, I'll say thank you for listening. Get back to doing your good work. And I'll see you next episode.